0: Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler and today I'm talking to Mark Fulcher about using exercise as medicine. Mark is a sports and exercise physician at AXIS Sports Medicine Clinic in Auckland. Since graduating from medical school in 2001, Mark has worked extensively in sports medicine and is especially interested in injury prevention and the treatment of concussion. He is the medical director at New Zealand Football and has been the doctor for the All Whites and the Football Ferns. He is involved with the sports medicine education programme and is currently the editor of FIFA's Football and Medicine Diploma. Welcome Mark. Thanks Louise. We are in a pandemic of physical inactivity with far-reaching health, economic and social consequences. Tell us about this comment.
1: Well, I think there's never been a time when we've been more sedentary. So I think increasingly our life, lifestyle has removed physical activity from uh, from our daily lives, um, and that's a problem. Um, I'm a cynical guy, and uh, I think one of the problems might be that uh, the the rates will stop increasing because this will become the new normal for us. So we'll become sedentary, uh, and that is just how our life will become.
0: So. What as general practitioners can we do about this and what are the health benefits of physical activity?
1: Mm. So I think there are two parts to that. What can we do about it? I think just having a general awareness that uh, we're becoming less active um, and that we need to do everything that we can to encourage our patients to become more active. If you think about the health benefits, well, they're you know, broad spectrum across the board health benefits. So uh, if you think about the effects of physical inactivity, uh, there's a term called diasmoke obesity or smoker diabetes. I always get the two confused. But essentially the health effects of being inactive are, are more significant than the effects of diabetes, obesity and smoking all combined. So they're really, really tangible. Um, if you pick pretty much any condition you can think of, um, physical activity is a good treatment. So if you think about mental health conditions, um, if you have a patient with depression, one of the most effective things that you can do is encourage them to be active. And so just the act of doing something is good for them, uh, but then the social interaction that you might have uh, from playing sport or going walking with some peers, um, tangible benefit. If you've got a patient who has diabetes, um, arguably, you're better off to get them to do 30 minutes of moderate intensity activity a day than prescribe metformin. If you've got a patient uh, who's had a history of breast cancer, one of the most effective things you can do in terms of preventing recurrence is to get them physically active. So you can pretty much pick any condition you like and make a very, very strong evidence-based argument that getting them active is going to be a good treatment.
0: So you've mentioned assessing physical activity. How do we do this?
1: Well, uh, I think it needs to be a bit of a tailored approach. So uh the first thing is I guess identifying the patient that you want to deal with. And uh, I, there's, a, there's a, quite a neat thing called the exercise vital sign. So we're all quite used to asking our patients about whether they smoke. So we quantify how much smoking by asking them how many a day and how many years and, and quantifying some pack years. Um, but you can do something similar for exercise. So you ask them how many uh, days a week would they do uh, moderate intensity exercise and how many minutes on average would they do? And then you can say, well, look, has this person achieved 150 minutes, which are the general recommendations for a minimum level of physical activity? And then you can categorize them and saying, look, this person is inactive or active. And that might be a way of identifying people that you might need to work harder with. Um, I guess what you do with them, um, particularly in a primary care setting, is, is quite variable. And so there might be times that you just don't have time. There's too many other things in the consultation. Um, but then there might be times where you can just identify this as an idea in the same way you would do it with smoking. Um, have you considered twitting smoking? Uh, no, you know, move on. So it's, it's a one-sentence interaction. Um, you might do something with exercise saying, well, look, um, we've identified that you're relatively inactive. Have you considered doing something about this? If you've got a bit more time, you might talk with them about the green prescription. Um, You might talk with them about what they enjoy doing. The other thing is that it's not necessarily exercise we're talking about here. It's physical activity. So um, things like vacuuming, walking up the stairs, walking to work, all of those things count and they have a very tangible benefit. While we're aiming for 30 minutes of activity a day, you can accumulate that through the day. So if you do two minutes of walking up the stairs here, two minutes of walking down to get your lunch there, um, all those things add up over the day to to represent activity. So I think that's a really important message for our patients is you don't have to put on lycra, you don't have to go to a gym, you don't have to do things that are sort of uh, you know classically thought of as exercise. You just have to do something.
0: Although you did mention moderately vigorous.
1: Yeah, so what we're aiming for is moderate intensity activity. So. Bottom line, though, is anything is good. Mm -hmm. So um, even getting out and walking, if that's all you're able to do, that's still better than nothing. Um, But what we're aiming for is something where you get a little bit puffed. um, You can still talk to your friends, but you might find it a little bit difficult. So that's how someone can try and determine whether they're exercising hard enough. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some evidence to say that if you do more exercise, then um, obviously there's more return. And there is some evidence to say that if you work at a slightly higher intensity, you might get a slightly better return as well. But that's not really the message. The message is, can we accumulate a minimum of 30 minutes a day um, where you're slightly puffed?
0: Okay. And if we're thinking about prescribing the exercise prescription, what should that look like?
1: Yeah. So um, we kind of touched on that a little bit, but I, I think it probably is going to look different for, for different people. So I see a lot of patients that have uh, are young people with old people's knees. Mm. So they may have torn their ACL or had a partial meniscectomy or something like that in their teens. Uh, and by the time they get to their late 20s or 30s, they may have very profound lateral compartment arthritis or something like that. So that patient still wants to be playing touch or netball with their friends, but their knee doesn't want them to do that. So you need to try and look at ways where they can potentially play a sport or activity that they still get some enjoyment out of. Um, And for those type of people, one of the things that I think works really well is getting into some boxing training. So not boxing to beat each other up, but just getting into a competitive boxing class type environment. So you've got a team-based activity, so there's other people there, you've got quite a high intensity activity. Um, but often it doesn't involve as much running and jumping. So you can do intervals, hitting a bag, and it's something that in that population, I think, works quite well. Um, then, say, if you think about um, kind of an older 50-year-old woman who's obese, um, one a type of exercise that might work really well for them is being in a swimming pool, but that might be the last place that they ever want to be and the last place that they want to uh, exercise, although you, you can be quite surprised. So... I think it's about tailoring the types of activity to that individual patient and understanding the things that they like and the things that they've done previously can be really useful. So there are some people that have never done any exercise ever in their life and so trying to get them engaged in a team sport or going to a gym, that's probably doomed to fail. You're just trying to get more incidental exercise and potentially get them to do more lifestyle things as opposed to someone who's you know maybe played lots of rugby in their teens Um, you might try and get them into some walking rugby or walking football or something like that as a starting point. So I think that's a a good point, is ask them what they've done before, ask them what they like, and try and tailor your recommendations to that.
0: Perfect. And are there any people who we shouldn't be prescribing exercise?
1: Uh, In short, I would say no. (laughs) So, I mean, I think exercise at some level, and I I think maybe the word exercise is not the, the right word for you know, for everyone it's physical activity so there used to be some guidelines to say that even if you're quite young and, and diabetic for example you should have an exercise tolerance test before you start an exercise program um, but increasingly that's viewed as being an unnecessary barrier to activity so um, I think are definitely some people that we need to be cautious about and understand that physical activity and exercise does entail some degree of risk so someone with a know, quite a significant cardiovascular history. You know, when we are physically active during exercise, we are at a slightly increased risk of having a a coronary event. That's just reality. But then if you average that out over the person's lifetime, um, there's a reduced risk. So uh, those types of people, when there's a a more significant medical history, um, being active is still very, very important. And in fact, it's probably more important than it has ever been. But you might seek some support in in terms of trying to get them active. So, for example, at our clinic, we have a, a clinical exercise physiologist, and so those people will start to be active. We'll do an exercise assessment where they're on a treadmill, um, they're attached to um, an ECG, so we can see what their what their heart rate and rhythm is doing, um, and we have a kind of more scientific approach to getting active, um, and we think that that makes it safer. Um, but that's not not everybody needs that so uh, generally the message should be we want you to start trying to be more physically active don't talk about exercise just talk about doing more in your daily life it might be walking to the mailbox it might be trying to do that several times a day it's not go to the gym it's do more
0: perfect what about side effects of exercise
1: yeah, so I, uh, I talk to people about medication uh, all the time, so we talk about side effects of amitriptyline or the side effects with non-steroidals, and there's no getting around the fact that anything we do, there's a, a downside, um, but in general, the side effects with uh, exercise or physical activity are you know, reasonably modest, so sweating is the most common. Um, if you overdo it, there are some side effects, including the risk of injury. Um, But those things, you know, they're pretty modest. So I I think that uh, if you're carefully managing a program and you're starting gradually and building up, the risk of problems is pretty low.
0: And just talking about forms of exercise, we've talked about any exercise is good, but are there Mm. any exercises that are actually better than others if you have a well person who's wanting to optimise things?
1: Mode of exercise is an important consideration. So should this person be in a pool? Should this person be walking? Should this person be riding a bike? Um, And there's some interesting examples. So uh, in Parkinson's disease, for example, so a really debilitating uh, condition where often people have very limited exercise tolerance they, their ability to walk and have a normal gait is severely compromised often those patients if you put them on a bike um, they're suddenly able to ride independently and there's some fascinating videos that uh, are worth a look actually on youtube or online um, where you have patients that basically have a, a you know severe shuffling gait can barely walk um, jump on a bike and suddenly can ride a bike extremely competently in and out of traffic essentially so um, there are definitely some interesting, um, interesting developments in that regard. So there's a lot of research going on around um, cycling as a treatment for Parkinson's. Uh, and it, they've shown that if you ride a bike, then some of those uh, effects are maintained. So um, you start with a shuffling gait, you have a series of exercises on a bike, and then you can walk better. Um, and it does also affect some of the cognitive, um, um, uh, cognitive effects of Parkinson's. It can have a positive impact. So I think in general, uh, walking and running um, has the best bang for your buck. So if you can encourage patients to get out and walk and power walk um, and or run, then uh, it's a convenient mode of exercise. So if you're traveling, for example, you don't need to take any equipment or rely on a gym or anything like that. Um, and you get a really good return from it. So if you're trying to get some results quickly, that can be a good one. Interval training is another one that's worth talking about, so it's quite fashionable at the moment. It's obviously not something you're going to start with with someone who's been relatively sedentary for a while, uh, but someone that's quite active already and you know enjoys some gym-type training, and they say, well, look, I'm just not losing any weight, I'm not really getting any gains from my walking or whatever, Uh, you can get quite a a bang from your buck from working quite hard for short periods. Um, And that might be something that they could consider for a bit of variety. But I, I guess the bottom line is I think often the message around physical activity gets lost because the patient thinks and hears exercise. So their perception is, I've got to go to the gym, I've got to get a personal trainer, I've got to buy some new clothes to do this. That is not will never succeed at a population level if that's our message and that's what the patient leaves thinking. And we really need to get them to buy into being more active in their day-to-day life. The risk of boring you, there's a couple of great um, old studies that have looked at the impact of your daily lifestyle on, on exercise or, or on your health outcomes. Um, and one of those was from the 50s, looking at bus drivers and bus conductors in London. So essentially, they had the same working day, the same largely working environment. They're on the same bus, but one the driver sat in the seat all day, whereas the conductor was walking up and down the bus, clipping tickets. And there was a very, very tangible um, impact between the health status of the sedentary driver and the less sedentary conductor. Um, there's another one that looks at uh, in the, in the US the only instruction that people got was either take the first park at the mall that you see, whether that's far away from the mall or not, or circle around and try and find the closest one that you can possibly find. And so that one instruction has had a tangible impact on, on health. So um, that is sort of a reflection of how pathetic, how, you know, how increase, increasingly sedentary we are. Mm. So um, even finding little ways to incorporate exercise into your day uh, has a big impact.
0: Mark, we haven't talked about weight training and this in our guidelines is a suggestion that we should be telling people to do two weight sessions a week.
1: Yep, so that's absolutely right. So the the guidelines suggest moderate intensity exercise with some resistance training Uh, and it's unquestionably a good idea. So it reduces the risk of falls, maintains function Um, but I guess my concern with that is that We've got a lot of our patients have got so far to go to get up to that 150 minutes, um, and to you know to 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 tell them up front that they have to be doing 150 minutes and two sessions of resistance training on on a background of 40 years of doing nothing, that potentially is quite overwhelming for them. So I think it's really important that we all think about that is what we're aiming for, and we should be aspirational and say, look. That is the minimum we should be aiming for. Um, but we also have to at the same time be realistic. And so I think you know we're trying to encourage these patients to do anything. So I think uh, setting some realistic goals uh, is important. And I think if that goal is trying to get achieve that all in a one then we're probably going to struggle. Um, there's some quite interesting stuff around goal setting out of the business literature. So... Um, if you kind of give the patient some advice um, the probability that they're going to do that is probably quite limited whereas if you sit down with them and you set a goal say look my goal is to do 20 minutes of activity tomorrow um, that's a good goal um, but if you say, look my goal is to do 20 minutes of activity tomorrow and you actually get them to write it down then the probability that that will be achieved is exponentially higher. So I think that's an interesting thing to say, well, look, let's, let's set some goals. And one of the things around injury prescription, uh, injury prescription um, exercise prescription, um, is to get some regular review. Because you might say, well, look, my goal is to walk for 30 minutes tomorrow. They might do it and realize that that is absolutely beyond them, or it's too easy, or whatever. And so if you say, well, look, let's get you going. I'm going to see you back in two weeks to, I don't know, to check your blood pressure, or whatever the consultation had been. Um, but also say, well, how is that exercise program going? Oh, it was terrible, blah, blah, blah. Then you might find a solution to that. So it might be that maybe we're going to walk for 10 minutes and we're going to do that more regularly, or it might be maybe we need to get an exercise professional or a green prescription involved. You really just need to be checking back and saying how, it's like any treatment, right? So um, how is that treatment working? Has your blood pressure come down? What's happening with your blood sugars? How is the exercise program going? So uh, I think that's an important take home.
0: Um, Activity trackers, tell us about the use of these and do they make a difference?
1: My personal view is that that they do. So I mean, I think in terms of goal setting, that's quite a nice one. So you say, well, look, how many steps are you going to do today? So that's a way of quantifying that incidental exercise. So I know that I, uh, in the weekend when I'm playing with my kids and I'm coaching football and I'm out doing stuff, then I'll regularly, you know, get to 15,000 steps Whereas when I'm in my clinic environment, scandalous. You know, if I, don't, if I don't go and actively do some exercise, then I'm sitting around three or 4,000 steps. So I think they're quite good because they can uh, help with buy-in. Um, they, they probably are not for everybody, so there's quite a bit of evidence to say that people will buy them, use them for six months, and then throw them away. So it's kind of like anything, it's, it's a bit of a fad. One of the things I do quite like are some of the apps. So um, I'm a little bit of a, I don't know, a running nerd, I suppose. Um, and I've got a few friends that are on an app called Strava. And so you can see what they've been doing for running that day. So um, you can, uh, one of them's in South Africa. You can sort of see in that you can see a map of what they've been doing. You can see how fast they've run. Um, and it's very easy to give them some feedback and have a laugh about, you know, what how was your run today or whatever so it's it's quite a nice way of interacting with a community so I think um, sometimes with this knowing that you're kind of not alone and that there are other people that are uh, kind of it's it's a little bit sad isn't it like back in the day we just go for a run with people or we would uh, we'd you know go for a walk with your wife or you do whatever but this is a kind of way of getting a bit of a community and getting some social support so Fitness trackers, I think they're a good idea. I think they provide some objective data both for the patient but also potentially for the clinician later on. And I think there's some real opportunity to leverage that community bit and get more buy-in. I'm really interested at the moment in, in some of the messaging we can get out to our patients, not so much around physical activity but around um, treatment compliance. So um, sending some text messages out to say, look, how's it going? Um, are you having any problems um, and it be a way of of just providing a bit of extra support. So I think it's it's a definite um a definite option and a definite potential add-on to the advice that you're giving them in your clinic.
0: What about negative effects of activity trackers? Do people ever get to ten thousand steps and then lie on the couch?
1: I'm sure they probably do, but, uh, I don't, I don't view them as being so negative. I, I think that you know we're all getting a little bit obsessed with technology, and we're spending too much time engaging with technology. Um, but I haven't really heard of anyone becoming obsessed with with steps uh, in a negative way. So it's more around it being a more motivational thing.
0: So physical activity is what we should be talking to our patients about and prescribing. But why is it? Do you think that we're not doing it?
1: Um, I think it's it's difficult. So for the patient, it's much easier for them to take a, a, a pill. It's interesting, actually, because if you, if you look in the media, doctors are often criticized for not listening and not telling people about exercise or not telling them about non-pharmacological interventions. But actually, I, I feel like we largely do do that. It's just that that is not necessarily what the patient wants to hear at that time. So I think there's some barriers that the patient imposes. So they would rather have a pill than invest 30 to 40 minutes a day in activity. So I think that that is the brutal, cold, hard reality. Um, and you have to work a lot harder to engage with them to, to change their lifestyle than, than you do to get them to take a you know, an antihypertensive medication. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I think time is an issue. So um, the patient comes in with a shopping list this is usually not the thing that they're coming to talk to you about. This is something that you've got to squeeze into your already busy consultation. So I think having some really simple ways of starting the conversation, um, and again, like smoking, um, have you considered being more active? You know, it's just it's a a question that they may say no, or they may say yes, and, and you might be able to follow up on that either at the time or later. So it's about saying what well, what can I try and do in this consultation, and I really like the exercise vital sign. So if you set up your patient management software to record that in the same way you're recording blood pressure, in the same way you're recording smoking status, that shouldn't be something that the GP necessarily needs to do in their consultation. That could be something that's done by a practice nurse. It could be something that's just done by the patient as part of their registration process. And then you then can act on it. So you know that this person has recorded that they are sedentary or inactive. And it's just about every time they come in, you see that they're still smoking, you see that they're still inactive, and it's a way of starting a conversation. You need to then do something about it, but it's just raising your awareness and a patient's awareness in that consultation that that is a thing that is is part of your screening, and it's something that you're going to try and build into the consult. So I really like that. But then if you've got more time and more uh, interest, then learning a bit about motivational interviewing and Um, A little bit more about exercise prescription and trying to tailor that to the patient is a really good idea. Um, And then I guess the other thing is this is something that I'm really interested in. Sport and exercise physicians in general are trying to be more active in this space. So potentially refer the patient on to someone like us. Um, There are some physiotherapists out in the community that are very interested in this. Um, And look, there are some, some really good trainers within the gym environment that are interested in this. I do think that most gyms do need to change their dialogue, so instead of it being about getting big guns or abs, it's about just being physically active and getting moving. And so I think that they are doing a lot of our our patients a disservice by over-gymming the intervention. So um, it's about saying, look, instead of sending them to a gym, let's try and send them to the right place to get them active.
0: And... To conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners?
1: Yeah, so I think the take-homes are think about physical activity rather than exercise. Uh, The second is can I get my patient to do anything? So we're just trying to get them to be more active. And I think adding incidental exercise is a really good one. So what are the things within their day that they're already doing um, where we might be able to get some gains? The third is uh, have a a clear awareness that exercise or physical activity is good for you. So physical inactivity is worse for you than the combined effects of diabetes, smoking, and obesity. So that is absolutely scandalous. And if we think about how much time and energy we spend thinking and screening for those three conditions, we need to be making physical activity more of a priority. Um, And then I guess the final thing is just thinking about what you're trying to achieve So roughly 30 minutes of moderate intensity, so slightly difficult to talk uh, activity accumulated through the day, most days of the week, and if you can, aiming for two sessions of resistance training.
0: Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure talking to you today.
1: That's my pleasure.